Let's break that down into three parts. Three parts. Number one, the issue for God, which is an amazing thing to think about. Number two, what God did to resolve that issue. And then number three, why it all matters for us and even for God. And you'll see what I mean by that. But number one, the issue for God. Number two, what God did to resolve it. And number three, why it matters. So number one, let's talk about the issue for God. And for this, look at the second sentence of verse 25. Notice what the Bible says there. Quote, this, Jesus' cross, was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he, God, had passed over former sins. And that right there is where we see the issue for God. And now by saying it that way, I want to be clear. Yes, this wasn't ever technically an issue, meaning a mistake, meaning it wasn't something where God messed up and then had to fix it or something like that. That's not the point. Instead, by issue, I do mean, though, that God did this in such a way where it was unclear for some time what he was doing. He did this in such a way where we or others could have come in and rightly questioned him. And what was it that he did? Well, quote, in his divine forbearance, meaning his tolerance, his patience, He'd passed over former sins. And that right there is what we've been talking about. The issue of the righteous God, the perfect, good, and loving judge just passing over some sins. (laughs) Acting like they're fine. Saying that guilty people are forgiven and innocent. And now, to, to really feel this, Perhaps the best illustration from the Old Testament is one of the people that Paul very intentionally is going to bring up in the next chapter in Romans 4. Because coming up in Romans 4 verse 6, Paul's going to bring up David from the Old Testament. David. And why David? Well, because if you know David's story, it's true. That he was in some ways an exemplary king of Israel. But in other ways, multiple New Testament authors point out that David yet was also the one who did this awful thing where he he didn't go out and fight with his troops and then he lusted after and used his power to get for himself Bathsheba and then he basically raped her and then he tried to cover that up in so many ways all leading to the death of Bathsheba's husband Uriah and then it all finally ended with David taking Bathsheba in to be one of yes only one of his wives and let's be clear From the biblical account of that in 2 Samuel, which you can read on your own, that is clearly seen to be messed up. And in the biblical account, God sends his prophet Nathan to go and tell David how messed up it is. And it is. And yet, also though, in the end, God ultimately passes over that sin. He eventually says that David's sins are forgotten and forgiven. That David is ultimately innocent in God's courtroom. Which is why David can dwell with God. And so the question is, how can God do that? You get that? That's the question. The issue. Because it seems that therefore God is actually, at least a little bit, not totally righteous. Sure, he's righteous to some people. But then towards others, yeah, sure, he may reprimand them a little bit, but then ultimately he simply says to them, actually, it's fine. You're now innocent in my eyes, David. You're justified. So that's number one on this section here, the issue for God. 
And yet, moving on, notice verse 25, that sentence there in the middle starts with, this was to show God's righteousness. And so if you're tracking, God somehow isn't unrighteous in passing over sins, even though it might have looked like it. And so how isn't God unrighteous? Well, that brings us to point number two on this section, and that's what God did to solve that issue. And what he do? Well, now look at that first half of verse 25. And this is the real meaning of the cross, church, said with crystal clarity in just a handful of words. And so, talking about what the triune God was doing in the redemption of Jesus, the Bible says this, so importantly, verse 25, the beginning. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so you might already be seeing why this is so important, but let's just make this so clear and simple. So God declares people like David forgiven and totally innocent at the end. He declares, he can declare people like us forgiven and totally innocent. And he did that all in the Old Testament through just trusting in him, the Lord. And now he specifically forgives people through trusting in Jesus. Amen. But how? Well, this is how. Jesus was put forward, quote, as a propitiation by his blood. That's how. And, and here's then where we get the central idea of this whole paragraph. And, and it's, it's truly the center of all world history. And it is the linchpin of this whole thing of being able to accomplish forgiveness and declare people innocent while also somehow not being unrighteous as you do so. And what's the idea? Well, Jesus comes. And he does not just die in general, but when he dies by his blood, he's a propitiation. Propitiation. And that's an important word in the original here, which means wrath bearer or wrath taker. And it, it, that's what it means in the original language. And that matters a lot because if you were to read Paul's reasoning so far in this book of Romans, his main point has been that because we're each now broken and sinful, therefore, because of real justice and wrongs on our part, God, being perfectly loving and seeing all of it, he has real wrath or anger. And that makes sense because think about it. Just like if you or I were to witness someone that we really love being hurt and abused, then seeing that we would have to have right anger. And in fact, we need to have anger what was going on if we actually loved that person. If we didn't have any anger, that would show we didn't love them. And so it is with God and the universe, except we often dishonor him and don't love others and live like we should. And, and so this is just true, church. God, therefore, has righteous, good, loving wrath, anger, due to real wrongs and sin and justice. And yet again, if God were to, like he seemed with David, if he kind of just, kind of eventually just let our sins go, that'd be wrong. Think about it. It would be like me seeing someone I loved being abused and sure, getting a little upset for a second, but then stopping caring. Whatever, it doesn't matter. No, that's unloving. That's, that's wrong. And so it seems to be with God. He forgave people just all the time in the Old Testament. And now the gospel is in Jesus. God says he'll forgive anyone of anything from all over the world. How can God do that? What about justice and right consequences and having loving right wrath? Answer, Jesus comes as the propitiation. 
He takes all of God's people's sins and therefore all of the judgment and wrath deserved for those sins upon himself. And that means to be crystal clear for people, even in the Old Testament, even though Jesus hadn't come yet, Paul, who himself was a Jew here, is plainly teaching that David was forgiven because Jesus took David's specific sins. Jesus hung on the cross because David raped Bathsheba, because David killed Uriah. And for you and me, Jesus does the same for us. He hangs on the cross because of all of our specific sins. Or to say it as plain as day, God righteously, lovingly put forward Jesus as the propitiation for all of his people's specific sins. And so they are all specifically dealt with in love and in justice. And therefore, we now fairly and justly, and because of God's love alone, we go free. <laughs> 